Christian suffering, is it a curse? Is it God's will? Well, what is it? Let's talk about that today on the Barefoot Bible Podcast. God bless everybody. My name is Arturo, your host of the Barefoot Bible Podcast, A Grungy Guide to Christianity, the Christian podcast where we discuss things such as prophecy, apologetics, theology, and so much more from the most raw and real perspective as possible. I just want to take a moment to thank you guys so much for joining us. This is the first episode, and I'm really excited that these things are finally getting to come into motion. I'm really glad that that by the grace of God, we're able to get this podcast off the ground. A lot of work has gone into it initially, and I just can't wait to be able to dig into the deep things of God with all of you. There are so many things to the Lord that I couldn't possibly put a number on all of them. However, we're going to try and get through as many as we can over the course of this podcast, and it is my hope that we all learn and grow together in the Lord. So, a little bit about this podcast. As I said, we're going to be talking about a lot of things pertaining to, well, Christianity. As a Christian myself, it's important that we talk about the things of our faith, that we grow in the things of the Lord, and and that's really my intention, all coming through the format of a person who is just like you, an everyday person. That's all I am. I'm not some great theologian with an impressive degree under my belt, although those things are important. I'm not trying to knock that, but that's all it is. You know, just an everyday person growing in the things of the Lord. And I'm really, really excited about it. Today's topic is going to be one that I've been really thinking and meditating on for a while. Uh, It's a topic that I believe is actually incredibly important to our faith. And this is something that is kind of heavy, but also something worth rejoicing in. Today we're going to be talking about Christian suffering. We're going to be exploring all kinds of different aspects of it. Like, is Christian suffering a curse? Is it God's desire for you to go through suffering? What exactly is Christian suffering? We're going to look at all that today, and I can't wait to unpack it with all you guys. And so, let's dive right in. So, as I said, suffering is one of the most important aspects of Christianity, yet in my personal experience, I see a lot of people who don't seem to understand a lot about it. So I've kind of collected some points that I'm going to address in the form of questions concerning this topic and why exactly I believe this is one of the biggest and most important aspects of Christianity we need to grasp. So, with the first point, what is Christian suffering? And this is often somewhat of a broad subject, considering that depending on who you talk to, it can range from anywhere simply from enduring regular hardships of life in a Christ-like manner to being subject to some of the most brutal forms of persecution on account of your faith. Going off what the Bible says about it, it's very clear that Christian suffering is heavily rooted in forms of persecution, but also can be about the personal costs of following Christ, such as letting go of personal will in exchange of the will of the Lord, letting go of personal possessions, and your entire life as you know it in order to obey the call of God on your life. Jesus often compared what it was like to follow him with great amounts of hardship. He often described following him as very costly, and this sometimes resulted in an excess amount of people no longer following him. So in a nutshell, I would say that Christian suffering is pretty much a direct result of your obedience to Christ, be it received from other people or the personal call of God on your life. And so with that brings up the next point. Is it biblical? And there's no other way, really, that I can put this to you than very. It actually might surprise some of you how much this topic is actually mentioned in the Bible. And so to give some perspective as to how often these things are talked about, we're going to take a look at just the New Testament. Again, I want to focus on Christian sufferings, why we're going to be looking in the New Testament. That's where Christianity came from. 
I am going to be reading from the ESV translation of the Bible. It's the one that I read from personally. I really enjoy it. If you want to to read along with any of the verses that I'm going to be describing over the course of this episode, feel free to use your own version. Or if you don't have one and would like to look one up, you can download the YouVersion uh, Bible app. That's a great and reliable app. If you don't have access to the app, you can go online, Bible.com, which is the YouVersion website, and you can read for free. So... With that, let's dive into what the Word of God says about this topic. So for this part, we're going to be looking at words that you find in the New Testament, words that specifically apply to the topic of Christian suffering. There are quite a lot of them, and I'm just going to go over some of them, but through the small number of words that we're going to be looking over, you're going to actually see that this is a very relevant topic that is found abundantly throughout the New Testament. It actually surprised me how much it actually is mentioned. So let's take a look at this. Again, every word is in context to Christian suffering. So the word endure is found 20 times in the New Testament. The word imprisonment is found 39 times. Affliction, 74 times. Persecution, 92 times. Tribulation is mentioned 103 times in the New Testament, and now for the big word, suffering itself, is found over 339 times in the New Testament. Wow! To list every single verse that directly mentions suffering would take a very long time, and there are so many that we can go over, but just looking at this from what we've seen so far, I don't think it could be any more clear that the New Testament very much so discusses Christian suffering. It's actually a topic that is found so much in the word itself being mentioned 339 times in the New Testament alone should tell you that this is something that is very biblical. In fact, to suggest that it's not biblical, clearly, that doesn't even make any sense. The evidence shows that it is. But words alone are nothing, right? So let's take a look at just whole verses. Let's dive into what the Bible actually says about this topic. Again, Christian suffering, be it persecution from other people on account of your faith or the suffering that you will endure on account of your own obedience. Let's dive into some scripture here. So in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 16 through 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples, kind of painting a picture for them about what exactly they are to expect from being sent to minister in the regions of Israel. And these are the words that he says to them. And listen very carefully. You'd be surprised at just how much he talks about how they are to suffer. So this is what Jesus says here, starting in verse 16. He says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now here's where it gets interesting, and where you see suffering come about in verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Wow! And you will be hated By all, for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master." If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? And see, just in that verse alone, I know that was a lot to read, but just in that verse, you see so many different aspects of persecution just from what he talks about. And and not only is it that 
you're going to get persecuted, but also he shows you why you're going to get persecuted. He says, the disciple's not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. How It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. And if they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So see, Christian suffering, you see here in scripture, not only is it going to happen, but it is a direct result of your faith, just like we've been talked about. Let's keep going so we can get into the other scriptures that I have prepared here. Now we're going to move on to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. And he says here, Paul, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And now you see Paul moving here into an aspect of almost rejoicing or seeing the good that's going to come out of this, which does seem a little bit oxymoronical, but we're going to get into that later, so just stick with me. Moving on to 2 Thessalonians 1.4. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So there we already see some more of the words we discovered earlier talking about persecution actually played out in the verses. The next verse that we have is from 2 Timothy. We're going to go to chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that have happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So here we see Paul describing that multiple locations that he went to, he received persecution. And he even says to Timothy, one of his most trusted servants, he even viewed him as a son, says that, you know, you're following in my steps, you know, all these things I have endured and so you're enduring also. Jesus talked about this, that as we imitate him, we are going to be persecuted like him. And you see that playing out down the line that as Paul imitates Christ, Timothy imitates Paul and they all receive persecution no matter where they go. And on to the last verse that I have here for this section, we have Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 16. And this is the Lord talking to Ananias, right? This this is right after Paul gets converted, his Saul to Paul moment, and he gets blinded in his eyes. Just a little background for, for those of you who don't know, Paul is currently sitting in Damascus. He's he's broken. He's He doesn't know what happened. He's encountered God in a incredible way, but he's been left blind by his encounter, and, and he's very discouraged. He thinks life right now is over, and he's he's not sure what the next step is, and so, so God goes and commits Ananias, one of the faithful disciples and followers of what they refer to as the way Christianity back then, telling him to go, and this is what the Lord says to him right after Ananias argues with God because Paul was such a known persecutor of the church at the time. But the Lord said, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And here's the part that I'm highlighting in this section. For I will show him how he must suffer for the sake of my name. Wow. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That is God himself, Jesus, talking to Ananias, saying that I'm sending you to this man because I have an incredible purpose and and that's going to be revealed to him, but also I'm going to prepare him and show him all the ways that he is going to suffer on account of the life that he is about to live for me. Right there kind of answers the questions of, you know, is this biblical? Is this God's will. And and I would say to a degree, yes. And I'm not saying that 
all suffering is God's will, right? By no means. I'm not trying to say that at all. But but suffering on account of the name of the Lord is going to happen because the world is naturally going to hate us as believers because the life that we're living in obedience to Christ directly challenges the world itself. It directly challenges what is known as the sin nature. You might hear it oftentimes referred to as the flesh. It goes against that. The Bible says that the flesh is the natural enemy of God. There's no part of it that's good. It wants it wants nothing to do with the things of God. And so naturally, because you are going out and doing the will of God, you're going to see persecution be it from the smallest to the largest degree in your life, simply because you belong to him, simply because you're going to live in obedience to him. And you see it so many times in the Bible. These are only one, two, three, four, five verses that I've pointed out here out of the entire New Testament. I wouldn't have enough time to get into all the verses. There, there's so many. I've actually gone through uh, one book alone of the New Testament and, and just tried to highlight every single time that that suffering or affliction is actually mentioned. And and in that book alone, I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head, but, but almost in every single sentence, sentence after sentence, you see the mentioning of this. Or, or in every other paragraph, you're going to see the mentioning of this. So, so this is something that is incredibly biblical. It is something that is so prevalent throughout scripture. It's undeniable that the Bible talks about this. Anyone who says that the Bible does not talk about this, that they're clearly not reading it because it is so, so apparent that you, you cannot deny it. I, I, would, I would actually argue that suffering is one of the most mentioned topics in the New Testament overall. It, it's that clear. It, it, it's so, so much it's just crazy to think that there are people out there that, that would think that it's not, but uh, I'm rambling. I'm, I'm going to echo 2 Timothy 3.12 here, as I believe this perfectly clarifies the overall answer to Christian suffering being biblical. And, and we read this earlier, but I'm going to say it again and listen very carefully. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Bible could not be clear, could could not be more clear, friends, about this topic. It's very biblical. So, but 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 what does that mean, right? We've established that this is something the Bible clearly talks about, but but what is what does it mean? Why is this something that is so important to our lives as follower of Jesus? Well, well that's the next point that we're going to get into. So why is this so important to our lives? You know, there are probably many ways people would answer this question. However, the way I myself would answer this is, as we read earlier, it is the mark of a true follower of Christ. And friends, this is nothing new. In fact, Jesus talks about the way that the prophets were persecuted and slaughtered way back in the Old Testament. He says that that was a foreshadowing of the life of a believer in Jesus. This is something that was guaranteed to us by the Lord himself. He told us that because he was first hated, so we also will be hated purely because we belong to him. So if you are experiencing these things, suffering, persecution, in your life because you've dedicated your entire life to Jesus, this is completely natural and you shouldn't expect any different. Now, I understand that this is an area of the conversation that might be a bit controversial for a couple reasons. The main one is that some of you, maybe even a good amount of you, and naturally so, are incredibly turned off by the idea of being subjected to horrible amounts of suffering. I completely understand. I don't blame you at all. Saying that that is not easy is a bit of an understatement. However, on the other side, you might get mad at me for saying this as well. But if you aren't experiencing persecution on account of your living for Jesus, 
It is a strong, and I mean strong, possibility that you might not be living for Jesus as much as you think you are. And, and I don't say that to condemn you. I don't say that to 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 tell you that that oh well you know you're you're not a real Christian you're not living up to this standard of being an awesome man of God no 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 that's not what I'm saying but looking at what we've seen so far and that's only where I'm getting it from is the scripture that that I've read on this especially that verse from Timothy this is something that is expected and it's incredibly confusing to to think wow well you know i i've been following the lord for a long time and and i haven't experienced any of this you know which which first of all that can be a blessing i'm not saying that it's not however to say that you never receive persecution or even suffer on account of your walk with the lord that's a bit of a red flag, friends, only because it is talked about so much. And so a couple of questions to ask yourselves with that is, is well, what am I doing? What am I not doing? What, what am I talking about? Is my life so obviously on fire for the Lord that people just look at me and they know it? Because if it is, you are going to receive these things. That is no surprise. That is nothing wrong. That is just what is expected. And, and you know what? You'll receive it from plenty of people. Plenty of people all over the world, including in your own church. I'm just going to be completely real about this. You're, you're probably listening to me saying, what, what, what do you mean? We're going to experience it from the church? Yeah. Absolutely you will. And, and that's nothing new either. Guys, listen. Listen. We are human beings, and because we are human beings, we are all imperfect. Every one of us as believers in Jesus, while we are renewed in spirit, we, we still wrestle with the carnal fleshly body that we live in, which, as, as the Bible puts it, is the natural enemy of God. It should be no surprise that sometimes our living on fire for the Lord is going to spark some kind of horrible response from the fleshliness of another human being, including but not limited to members of the church. And so with that, guys, I, I can completely understand how for some of you listening to this, that can be an uncomfortable thing. For starters, I'm an American, right? The closest thing to persecution in my country that anyone can probably perceive, most people can probably perceive, is getting told not to be so loud about their faith, right? Getting shouted down by the masses because they're living for their faith. And I'm not saying that harsh, brutal persecution does not happen in this country, but in comparison to other parts of the world, we're not exactly having church in a cistern in order to avoid the state cutting off our heads, right? We're not having to, to dig these hand-dug tunnels in a ditch on the side of the road just so that we can be able to take communion and, and, and sing and pray together, you know? Those things, they, they don't happen in our country. And because of that, again, I think that is a blessing in and of itself because with that, you know, we as the church can go unhindered boldly and be very effective in that way here. However, that can also bring a form of complacency, which is why I'm talking about this, right? This this is why I'm asking these questions of, of, of is it a curse? Is it God's will? Does the Bible really talk about it? I'm asking that because in my country, that's, that's what I see. I see people wondering those things. I, I see that so often people are asking about that. And so that's why I'm talking about it. Okay? It, it's so bad that, and this is just from people I've talked to. I, I've talked to many people from around the country that have shared this sentiment throughout my travels. And, and they almost have this belief that, that it is not God's will for us to suffer, that, that if we are Christians, we, we shouldn't even be suffering at all, right? But rather, we should be the most prosperous and carefree individuals on the planet. Now, I'm not going to get into the morals of being wealthy and other such things. Uh, I'm not going to start talking about, well, prosperity, gospel, this, but uh, I'm not going to get into that. But I will say 
that the idea that we should be leading perfectly comfortable lives is not biblical at all. In fact, you will hear more about suffering than you will about comforts. You, you even see this in Scripture. There was a rich man who came to Jesus and he said, Lord, I, I will be willing to do whatever it takes to follow you. And, and, and I, I believe the Lord told him to give away all of his things. And, and Jesus told him that, that even foxes have dens to lay their heads in. But the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. That The guy went away sad. He, he went away sad because he was met with the fact that well, if I follow this man, the comforts and pleasures that I've known in my life are probably going to be completely destroyed. I'm not saying that you're not going to have comforts. I'm not saying that there won't be moments of peace, moments of great blessing. Uh, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that more than you will hear about comforts or maybe experience comforts in the New Testament, you, you're going to see an overabundance of suffering that outshines anything to do with comfort. And I believe this is something that, that we in America often get from what is known as the American dream. And, and the thing that's important to remember about that is, is that Christianity predates America. It's existed long before America was around, and it will definitely more than outlast it. So I want to encourage you guys in these things. Again, this is not to be condemning at all, but it is abundant to me that in my country, we seem to have it in the idea that to be a good Christian is to be a good American. And I would say that that couldn't be further from the truth. It's definitely not biblical, but rather that to be a good American is to be a good Christian. To, to be a good citizen of your country, whether you're not in America, is to be a good Christian. We must remember, friends, that we are citizens of a kingdom outside of this world. The minute we signed up, the minute we said yes to the Lord, the minute we acknowledged Him as our Savior and Lord over our lives and, and received Him in that beautiful way, that the minute we did that, we forfeited our rights as citizens of this world. And it's because of that that the Lord said that we are going to suffer. That, that is why this is so important for us to understand as followers of Jesus. Because suffering is not separate from following Jesus. And, and with that, I understand, can be incredibly inconvenient. Believe me, I know. But, you know, if human beings, honestly, you know, with that, this, this is what I, I would say, that, that if human beings invented Christianity, as, as many skeptics claim, judging just by human nature alone, they really should have picked, or rather they would have picked, someone who is way more convenient than Jesus. But again, this is not to make you worry. This is an amazing thing, right? This is something that is powerful. It's something that directly impacts our testimony as Christians. And so we should not be worried about this. Why? Well, let's get into it. I believe that there are three main reasons why a Christian should not be worried about receiving persecution, and the first being that it brings glory to God. It's an amazing testimony when we are able to withstand suffering, right? It is a beautiful showing of our faith and trust in and obedience to the Lord Jesus. So that is the first reason, the most important reason, glory to God on high. The second is that it produces something within us that helps us in our time here on earth. Let's take a look at the book of James. The book of James tells us that we should count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." Now, let's take a look at that, because there's something that is incredibly noteworthy here, and, and this, this verse gets taken out of context many times. 
This verse is not talking about the Monday morning scaries. It's not talking about your bills stacking up. It's not talking about that awkward feeling when you have to go break up with someone in a relationship. This is not referring to everyday troubles that we have in this world. But this is specifically talking about the kinds of troubles that we are going to have that is specifically, as he says, the testing of your faith. I understand the struggles of Mondays and everyday things, but but we have to understand this distinction that this is not talking about that, okay? But But this is an encouraging thing. Because you see, when we go through trial and persecution, it, it tells us that there is an outcome to this. It, it tells us that suffering for our faith and, and the testing of our faith will produce within us the ability to be able to withstand more so that when more comes, and, and believe me, it will come, our whole entire lives it will come, we are able to handle it more and more. That is an incredible thing. That is something that instills a lot of hope into me about this. But there's something else that instills even more hope than that. And that's point number three. And this is probably the most exciting point about this. If you guys don't understand this, please, please, I just pray that you have ears to hear what I am about to say because it is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Bring you to tears, beautiful man. Point number three is that it allows us as believers to have treasures stored up in heaven. What? Because of the suffering we go through and that we are having treasures stored up for us in heaven so that when we arrive at the end of our road we'll be rewarded because of our willingness to go through these things that is amazing that is immensely encouraging too often we as believers are are guilty i myself at times are, are guilty of of not looking beyond this life right there there is a clear hope that we look forward to beyond this life that we currently live. It is vital that we remember that God is that good. I'm not just going to save you, right? I'm not just going to give you free access that you don't deserve into my kingdom to have eternal life. No, but because of the good things that you do on this earth and for going through and enduring the suffering on this earth that you will encounter for my name, I'm going to reward you on top of eternal life. I'm going to give you things. And that is way more than we deserve. Where is this in scripture, right? Well, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. Jesus, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Revelation 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones. Seated on them were those whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. A thousand years. The book of James, going back there, okay? In, in chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. That's why I'm saying that the most encouraging point is that because of these things that we are going through, we are having treasures stored up for us in heaven right now. Not not only the for the things that other people do to you, right? This is not just because of the things that, that why we are getting slandered, while, while we are getting beaten, while we are getting mocked. On top of that, just the fact that you alone are suffering through your own obedience, 
that is the Lord told you to do something and your flesh said no, but because you love him, you're pushing through that anyway and it is hard and you're hit with resistance and it feels awful. There is treasure stored up for you because of that in the next life. God is that amazing. Our suffering is for a purpose. And that is why we have to not worry about this. There is a clear hope that we have both in this life and the next that comes as a result of enduring suffering and persecution. Suffering is not something we need to be worried about. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah. Is it difficult? Absolutely. It may possibly result in the ending of your physical life or life as you know it. That is very possible. But friends, do not despair. I want to encourage you not to despair over these things. This should be nothing new to us as believers. The scriptures talk about it. And if this is something new to you, you're listening to us, and, and this is something that, that you've, you haven't understood, praise God. I, I hope that this is something that is transforming for you because this reality of suffering, it, 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 the depth of it is just so amazing. It's incredible that, that not only... Is this something that we're promised to go through, but the, the good that's going to come out of this? Wow. And, and, and of course, let, let me stress this. I'm not saying that we need to look forward to persecution. Uh, I'm not saying that we need to go and actively look for it. I, I think that's the wrong mindset, is to go and actively look for people to persecute us. That's not what we need to be doing at all. Remember that persecution is something that will naturally happen to us. It is a natural response from those outside of the faith toward the believer. We don't seek it. We don't go out with the intention of saying, well, I'm going to go get persecuted today so I can get a reward. No, no, that's, that's not what we need to be doing. That's not the goal. But when we are faced with it, we welcome it in boldness, knowing that we are enduring first for the glory of God, also for the things it will produce in our lives here on this earth, and for the hope that we have, knowing what it'll give us in the next life. Wow. It's incredible. But I gotta move on. I could talk about this all day. I literally could. I, in fact, I wish I could go on this for hours, but but I can't. And, and, and some of you probably would not appreciate that. So we gotta move on. So what does this look like for us, right? for us as believers to go through these things. This is the part of the show where I'm going to give you guys a bit of a warning. All right, okay, trigger warning. Because what I'm going to be doing now is I am going to be giving testimony of some of the lives of martyrs. Now, I don't do this with the intention of scaring people, of upsetting them, or running any of you off. I understand that these stories are probably incredibly heavy, and that's why I'm taking this moment to give caution to you guys listening, for those of you who have sensitive ears, that if you are bothered by graphics accounts of violence, suffering, and even death, please consider that as I move on with this next part. Again, it's not my intention to disturb any of you, to scare you, or violate your conscience in any way, but I created this podcast with the intention to talk about the things of God in the most raw and real way that I possibly can. Naturally, what that is going to look like is it's not always going to be pleasant. And if you know the Bible, you know that it's anything but PG. If I was going to rate it like a movie, I'd give it a solid R. Because there are some things that happen that are incredibly violent. Even in the New Testament, right? The Old Testament has violence, but the New Testament is just as much. And sometimes it may not be in your face, but what it talks about, the levels of persecution, the things that I'm talking about here, those are some of the things that I mean. And so with that, that's the warning. With the warning concluded, we're going to talk about some martyrs. Now, the the following stories that I'm going to be reading to you guys are collected from the book entitled Martyrs, 
written collectively by the Christian, uh, the contemporary Christian music group DC Talk. Some of you are probably familiar with them. If not, hey, go check them out. They're really good. And uh, the relief organization known as Voices the Martyrs, founded by the man Richard Wormbrand, who was a Ukrainian pastor, received plenty of persecution himself during the communistic regime of the USSR over his home country back during the Cold War. Um, it's actually because of the persecution that he endured, he created this organization, Voice of the Martyrs, which is a really great organization that is specifically um, tasked with the relief and aid toward people in the faith who are going through persecution and martyrdom uh, all over the world. The, these guys help. They're a wonderful organization. But, but as I said, the, these stories are from that book. And so we're going to start off with a story from Mary Curie. She's 17 years old, or at the time she was 17 years old, from Damore, Lebanon, during the Lebanese Civil War. And so this is what the book says in telling her story. Mary Curie and her family were forced to their knees before their home. The leader of the Muslim fanatics who had raided their village waved his pistol carelessly before their faces. His hatred for Christians burned in his eyes. If you do not become a Muslim, he threatened, you will be shot. Mary knew Jesus had been given a similar choice. Give up your plan to save sinners or you will be crucified. But he chose the cross. Mary's choice was similar. And she says, I was baptized as a Christian and his word came to me. Do not deny your faith. I will obey him. Go ahead and shoot. The report of a gun from behind her echoed in the valley and Mary's body fell limply to the ground. Two days later, the Red Cross came into her village. Of all her family, Mary was the only one still alive. But the bullet had cut her spinal cord, leaving both of her arms paralyzed. They were stretched out from her body and bent at the elbows, reminiscent of Jesus at his crucifixion. She could do nothing with them. More words from the Lord came to Mary. Even though she was now handicapped, she knew God had a plan for her life. Everyone has a vocation, she said. I can never marry or do any physical work, so I will offer my life for Muslims. Like the one who cut my father's throat, cursed my mother and stabbed her, and then tried to kill me, my life will be for them. Wow. This next one is about Runken of Flanders in 1500s Belgium. I found one. The Inquisitor held up the forbidden book as he called to his assistant, Bring the mayor and his family. Someone is studying the Bible in this house. In, in the 16th century, Philip II sent the Duke of Alba to Flanders to stamp out the Protestants who insisted on reading the scriptures in their own language. Now, a, a little background on this historically... Uh, the the Bible was popularly read in the church through one language, and that language was only to be read by the clergy. This is really because most people didn't understand the language, I believe, which at the time was Latin. And so, so it was illegal for anybody to translate the Bible and, and read it in their own language. It was not allowed, totally outlawed by the church. And so that's just a little background to what was going on here. Back to the story. Anyone found studying the Bible was hanged, drowned, torn in pieces, or burned alive at the stake. The inquisitors had found the Bible while inspecting the house of the mayor of Bruges, or Brugge. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. One by one, family members were questioned, but everyone claimed they knew nothing about how the Bible got to their house. Finally, the officials asked the young maid servant Rukin, who boldly declared, I am reading it. The mayor, knowing the penalty for studying the Bible, tried to defend her, saying, Oh no, she only owns it. She doesn't ever read from it. But Runkin chose not to be defended by a lie. This book is mine. I am reading from it, and it is more precious to me than anything. She was sentenced to die by suffocation. A place would be hollowed out in the city wall, she would be tied in it, and the opening would be bricked over. 
An official tried to reason with her and talk her out of it by saying, so young and beautiful, but to die, to which she did not back down. She absolutely refused to be talked out of this decision. The officials even told her and said that, that you will suffocate and die in here, but her words that she responded with are powerful. She said, I will be with Jesus. Finally, the wall was finished except for the one brick that would cover her face and for the last time an official tried to persuade her, repent, just say the word and you will go free. But Runkin refused, saying instead, O Lord, forgive my murderers. The brick was put in place. Many years later, her bones were removed from the wall and buried in the cemetery of Bruga or Bruges, however that is pronounced. The next story that we're going to be reading is is about a girl. She doesn't have a name that we know of, but she was believed to be around 16 to 17 years old in Asia during the 1970s. If you guys aren't familiar with what was going on in the world at that time, especially over in Asia, communism was something that was incredibly um, prevalent as a political system throughout most of the countries over there, actually you know, throughout the 60s and early 70s, was the Vietnam War, which was us fighting against the spread of communism over there. And so that is just a little background of, of what was going on and why this was so turbulent for believers at the time. And the story goes as follows. The communist soldiers discovered their illegal Bible study. As the pastor was reading from the Bible, men with guns suddenly broke into the home, terrorizing the believers who had gathered there to worship. The communists shouted insults and threatened to kill the Christians. The leading officer pointed his gun at the pastor's head. Hand me your Bible, he demanded. Reluctantly, the pastor handed over his Bible, his prized possession. With a sneer on his face, the guard threw the word of God on the floor at his feet and glared at the small congregation. There, he said to them, we will let you go. But first, you must spit on this book of lies. Anyone who refuses will be shot. And so the believers had no choice but to obey the officer's order. A soldier pointed his gun at one of the men, you first. And the man slowly got up and knelt down by the Bible. Reluctantly, he spit on it, praying, Father, please forgive me. And he stood up and walked out the door, the soldier standing back, allowing him to leave. Okay, you, the soldier said, nudging a woman forward. In tears, she could barely do what the soldier demanded. She spit only a little, but it is enough. And she was allowed to leave. But then quietly, a young girl came forward. Overcome with her love for the Lord, she knelt down and picked up the Bible. She wiped off the spit with her dress and said, what have they done to your word? Please forgive them, she prayed. And the communist soldier put his pistol to her head and pulled the trigger. The last story that I have is, is a story of Stanley, a boy in Indonesia in the year 1996. Stanley was eager to take on the challenge of the mission field, a recent graduate of Palembang Bible School in Jakarta. The Lord sent him to the very remote island of Mentawai, Indonesia, where inhabitants mix witchcraft and the occult with Islam. Stanley was very bold in preaching the gospel, telling Muslims to burn their idols when they received Jesus Christ. And one day, a newly saved Muslim burned his idol, which contained a rolled-up scroll from the Quran. When area Muslims heard of this, they became very angry and reported Stanley to the officials. He was arrested and thrown in jail. The pastor of the Bible school heard about Stanley's arrest and went immediately to see him. When Pastor Siwi, the pastor of the school, uh, arrived at the jail, he was told that Stanley had been transferred to prison. Days later, when Pastor Siwi finally found Stanley, he found him severely beaten, bruised, and unconscious. Repeated blows to the head had left him in a coma. Pastor Siwi did what he could to care for Stanley and make him more comfortable. And Stanley seemed to revive slightly as he did this. Pastor Siwi asked him with tears in his eyes, Stanley, this is Pastor Siwi. Can you hear me? But Stanley could not move or speak. All he could do was lie on his back and cry. Soon after his pastor's visit, Stanley went to be with the Lord. Stanley's death made a great impact on those who knew him. 
In the middle of the night, seven of his fellow students went to the Bible school superintendent requesting that they be sent to preach the gospel on Mentawai. Many of his friends and family went to attend the Bible school, including Stanley's mother and sister. Soon after they graduate, seven of them would be going to evangelize where Stanley died. His mother was asked, are you not afraid to die? To which she answered, why should I be afraid to die? Now, as horrible as some of these things may be, there are many stories like these of people who are persecuted for their faith around the world. It has been something that has happened consistently from the day Stephen was murdered in the book of Acts to present day to day. There is actually no other world religion where the members of the faith willingly give their lives as they do in Christianity. Now, before I get called out on that. I understand that there have been many practices in existence that involve some form of martyrdom, one of which in radical Islam would be those who commit suicide as a means to kill other people. And while this isn't necessarily a religious act, I think to some people here and then it was, but, but there is seppuku, which is the ritual disembowelment practiced by the Japanese way back in the day. But these things are fundamentally different from martyrdom in Christianity in that they are very self-motivated. The suicide killings are usually to gain favor in the next life by giving up your own life through the process of taking others. This could be resulted in entering paradise as well as receiving reward in entering paradise, such a counterfeit of our own faith system where God rewards us for our suffering it's very twisted. It involves the taking of your own life. And, 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 and seppuku was usually to restore lost honor to yourself or to the family line. And that was the purpose of seppuku. But, but these, these things, as, as well as I'm sure that there are other types of willing death in other world cultures, practices, ancient world. Uh, I'm not exactly too sure on what those might be. But for most of them that you find... You see that they're very much revolving around selfish ambition. And while I understand that suffering and martyrdom does have a reward, ultimately that is not why we do it. Ultimately, it's not for ourselves, for us to go down in history, but rather to give a beautiful testimony to the love of God, to the people who are persecuting you, as well as a way to minister directly to the people who are persecuting you. It is very much for other people. And that is the biggest difference between martyrdom in most other cultural and religious aspects and the aspect of martyrdom in Christianity. It echoes Jesus' heart when on the cross he said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. It echoes Stephen as he imitated Jesus, saying, Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Every single story that I read to you today, as hard as it may be to hear, the one thing that they had in common is that they did what they did for the sake of other people. Mary Curie, though she wasn't killed for the faith, received intense suffering, but she devoted her life despite that, understanding it could happen to her again, and she could die this next time, says, my life will be for them. Runkin, echoing the Lord's heart on the cross, says, oh Lord, forgive my murderers. The girl knelt down, picked up the Bible, and said, what have they done to your word, Lord? Please forgive them, echoing the cross there again. And just showing love to God despite the danger it put herself in. Stanley, he loved people so much that he, he went into one of the most intense areas of his time. And they killed him. His life spoke as such a testimony to other people that it inspired them not only to go and learn more about their faith, but also to go back to that area and to other areas in Indonesia, which if you don't know is the largest Muslim country in the world by population, very, very opposed to Christianity. I think it's actually in some areas illegal over there. But, but these things are, are, they're not motivated by self. And, and again, I, I did not tell you any of these stories to upset you. 
I did not tell any, you any of these stories to make you sad, to make you depressed, but rather there's only one way to paint a picture of what Christian suffering truly looks like. And, and to be honest with you, as it is represented in the Bible, it's not pretty. It's very ugly. But despite all this ugliness, we must remember why we do it what it produces in us and the things that we will have to look forward to. Also looking forward to the fact that it will bring glory to God on high. The sufferings that we go through have a purpose. And it is my hope for all of us as believers that we are, like the people we read about, able to endure all the sufferings that we will come across. We will come across them. So in conclusion, as we found out, Christian suffering is very biblical. It's very real. And it should be expected by us as believers. This is not a shameful thing, but this is something we rejoice in. We, we are blessed to be able to experience and share in the same levels of rejection and suffering that our Lord did because we know by this that we are like Him and that we belong to Him. It is a beautiful mark of being a son and a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is something that should instill hope and not fear. And I, I want us to remember this. And, and with this being such a heavy topic as it is, I want to offer us a quick prayer and others a quick prayer in regards to this. So, Lord, Father, Abba, we come before you as humble and willing servants. Father, we only desire one thing truly, that your name be made famous and glorified among the whole earth. We lift up ourselves our own lives, and the church across the whole world, especially those being persecuted. We lift all of these things, all these people up to you. Father, give us boldness to live our lives unafraid of any and all suffering that we will endure on account of your name. Give us the strength to endure all suffering, be it in martyrdom persecution, or even the suffering of our own obedience. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. And so, that concludes this episode on Christian suffering. I hope that this has been a very informative and in-depth look at the topic of Christian suffering. I really hope that you found this episode to, to be a blessing. I really hope that it is something that does actually instill hope in you despite the heaviness of this topic. Again, I just want to reiterate that that as despairing as this may seem, this is something that is joyful, something that we rejoice in. Uh, I don't want you guys to be afraid of this as there is nothing to be afraid of. And with that, we are going to end this episode. I want to thank you guys one more time again for joining in with us if you like the content and if this is something that you really enjoy, I want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to us. You can do so on a preferred streaming platform and tell your friends, share, get the word out. The more people we have listening, the more we are able to accomplish our mission, which is just to inform you guys about the Bible again in the most raw and real perspective as we possibly can. If you are not currently following us on social media, go ahead and do that. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Both of those are at Barefoot Bible Podcast. The B and P are capitalized. And you can find us on Twitter, which is Barefoot underscore Bible. Again, both of the Bs are capitalized in that. Go ahead and follow us on social media. It's very important that you do. We will be posting important updates to the podcast, what we're going to be looking forward to in the future. We also may post important interactive things for you guys to take part of. For instance, the next episode that we are going to be doing is actually going to be a Q&A. So make sure if you're not following us that you go do because we are going to actually be putting out a post that is going to be asking you for questions, all kinds of questions. Please send us your questions, okay? Any question that you have regarding anything to do with Christianity, don't be afraid, don't be shy, go ahead and post it. And if I can 
answer your question. I will do so to the best of my ability. So go and make sure that you do that. All right, guys. Once again, this is your host, Arturo Moreno. I want to thank you so much for joining in to the Barefoot Bible Podcast, A Grungy Guide to Christianity. I am signing off, and God bless you. Have a great week. I'll see you next time.